it's ended up becoming this important thing in our relationship that often we avoid because we're like, eh, do we really want to like think about the last 30 days and rehash everything? But I think it's become this critical thing where we ask each other questions like, what's something I did in the last 30 days that made you feel most loved? What's something I could do more of and less of to make you feel more loved? What's your goal, hope, or dream for us in the next 30 days? Like things like that. Actually, I wrote this up. So if anyone wants to find it, I can direct you there. It's on Forbes. Yeah, it's on Forbes. Just Google my name and you've fallen in love. Now what? (laughs) That's the title. And you can find it. But I think that's been really helpful because it. I think where people misunderstand, because I went on a radio show talking about this once and people, the hosts were like, oh, so you guys bottle up your emotions for 30 days and then dump them on each other. I was like, wow, you're telling me a lot about the way you interact in your relationship. <laughs> but it's not that. It's that how do we take a time where we're both present and prepared to dig in as opposed to you know, Brendan knows this about me that when I'm focused on something, if he comes in, it's just like, Hey, can we book this time? I get so sidewinded and thrown off that I need to know like, okay, this is the time we're doing this thing. So it's given us this landmark every month, give or take. Yep. (laughs) You got to bring up our fight. I mean, I'm usually right, but that's... (laughs) It's not going to happen. Never, no way. Let's go back. Don't share that story. Yeah. Hang on, did I go too fast? You just jumped to purpose, which is you. You're what a visionary. I see your I'm connection a- here. <laughs> Love or work. Welcome to the Love Work Podcast. This is Jeff. And I'm Andre. We are married. <laughs> Everybody knows that. Every There could be new listeners. They don't even know. Okay. We've been married for 17 years. 15 of the best years ever. Oh my God. He says that every day. Listen, we are in the heat of COVID right now. But we're still doing interviews. We're doing interviews over the interwebs. We want you to still feel inspired and in love with your partner and getting great content Mm. to spur on conversation Mm. because keeping us spicy. There's not much else you can do but talk. Talk with your partner right now. All the time. All the days. Oh, boy. Isn't it interesting how easily in this time you can be so close yet get into the biggest frustrating arguments (laughs) around the littlest things? Well, it's probably because you're so close all the time. And we're not separating and getting a little bit of that independent time that we're used to. Yeah, I've been needing a little independent time. (laughs) I've been taking a long walks by myself. Yes. I'm always like, do you, can I, do you want me to go? No, you can see you later. (laughs) We're all there. We're all there. All you listeners, you've been there. You are there. You understand you're in it with me. You're, you're right here. We're figuring it out. All right. So today we have great, great couple. Hang on. Before we do this, I just want to unpack something. Oh, what I do wrong? We, I don't think we've talked at length on the podcast yet about the importance of showers. And I just had to bring it up because why you gotta do this to me on live air right now? Well, oh, you, uh, you're not, you're not sticking with your commitment levels on shower. I shower every day. You, once a week. <laughs> if if I remind you, once a week. Andre is amazing. She's living out her purpose right now. She's serving people. She's on the front lines, really serving people. 
And yesterday they did their testings. You're saying COVID testing is Te- what you're talking about. Yeah, COVID testings. So I have a tent now and we're outside and we're doing COVID <laughs> testings. And I walk in the house and the first well, thing Jeff says is strip. And I like have to take no, everything. No, you did take everything off. I stripped took, at the front door for you. Right. Not for me. You didn't like, that sounded like this no, thing you did. It was not like that. sexy, like take off your scrubs. It was like, take off your scrubs. And, and my, my thinking was go take a shower. Immediately. Like, he wanted me to walk straight to the shower. And I was like, what? I was like, go to the shower. <laughs> and she's like, I, I had don't showered know. already that I morning. Had scrubs. I already washed my hands. I'm like, wash your hands. You need to wash everything. Wash the cubicles <laughs> of your hair, whatever the, what? what are they called? The little hair. Wash it all. Just wash. I don't want to touch, don't touch anything in the house until you've washed. <laughs> cleanliness, and I explained this, cleanliness is next to godliness. Which I couldn't disagree more with. Yeah. So, okay. Now you all heard our marriage fight. Can all we move on? <laughs> she, I would not even look at her until she showered because I'm like, you got to clean this stuff up. And, and the truth is, and anyone, if you want to send an email, please send them. I would love to read all of them because they're all going to be in agreement with me. After this thing, you got to shower. Okay, folks. Can we talk about our interview now? I'm excited. <laughs> this interview is great. These two are awesome. They were all in. It was like we asked them a question. It was just like, go. So this one's fun. All right. So this is Dara and Brendan. And uh, so great. Dara is a life coach and kind of bit helps with business development. It's way more than that, though. She There's writes for some, Forbes. She I mean, she's a she's, she's an a expert writer, on this stuff. author, speaker. Um, but check out her website. It's Dara.co, which is D-A-R-R-A-H dot co. And then Brendan, he is kind of in the real estate consulting business, uh, works with Kingdom Group and Big and Chewy Consulting. Yeah, they're both from Atlanta. Actually, they're not from Atlanta. They, they're all over the world. They go all over the place. And uh, we're so excited to hear from them today. And specifically, I want you to hear three things. These are three of the best things to share. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, we're going to learn about cuddle puddles. I have never heard of that until today. We're all going to be wanting these. Number two, advice on dating like a man. Or just dating, dating like, like a, a man. man. Yeah. And number three, Deepak Chopra. Those yes. are the three things to listen for. So here we go. Here's your next episode with Love or Work with Dara and Brendan. We have two different versions. Yes. Maybe unsurprising. <laughs> always, always. Always. I look to Brendan because he is the long-winded storyteller and I am the efficient to the point one. I'm like, you want to start? <laughs> Probably listeners want her to start with that, Tia. <laughs> Why don't you do it? So here's the Cliff's notes. We were at an event in Portland, Oregon for a group called Breakout. And it's like a non-traditional conference. I had been to six or seven of them. And Brendan likes to point out it was sort of a place I did a lot of dating. <laughs> and- <laughs> I was just one in the line, but uh, the line ended with me. And Brendan shows up. We're put in the same little small group out of 100 people. There's 10 of us. And they ask us to go around the circle and say what our happy place is. And it, going around, everyone's talking about their happy place. And Brendan starts talking about having just come back from Burning Man and these cuddle puddles and how he's so obsessed with them. 
And it wasn't what he said, but immediately I had this thought to myself. I was like, wow, that's a really incredible human. Like I could feel his energy. And then I went on to not think about it again until we had a couple deep connected, like really deep dive moments throughout this weekend event. And the last night we had actually, I don't know how much your listeners are going to love this, but had come back from the whole group going to a strip club. (laughs) Brendan sends me a text at 3am and he's like, Hey, this is verbatim. I think you're delightful. I'd like to get to know you better. How do I do that sooner rather than later? So it's 3 a.m. and I'm thinking, wow, here's a guy who says what he means and means what he says. He's like going for it. And I didn't know how I felt about him, but I just thought, well, I'm going to give him an answer and an option. So I said, well, I'm leaving for LA in the morning if you want to come. And he said, okay. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So then what happens? So he comes to LA. He sweet talk. I was staying with a friend in Santa Monica. He gets himself a hotel. He sweet talks someone at one of the most popular restaurants in Venice called Jelena to give us a table on this like busy night. And we have this four hour conversation talking about everything you're not supposed to talk about. We were, he was a philosophy major. I was a religious studies major. So we're talking about religion and philosophy. We're talking about past relationships. We're talking about sex and kids and like all the stuff that they say, don't talk about, but we did. And we just felt deeply connected really fast. And so that turned into a two day date in LA where I said we did the reverse bachelor dating, where I broke my phone. He had to come to the Apple store, spend four hours with me getting it fixed, had to get a key made for a friend. Like it was literally the worst day ever. Right. (laughs) We had a blast. And so I was like, wow, if we can have fun doing this mundane stuff, then we probably have fun doing actually interesting stuff together. So the real kind of moral of all of that is after this two days, he went off to go do some work, I think in Tahoe, I went off to San Francisco and I leave. So basically I leave that morning. Brendan has already flown out and I had a ring. I always wore my right hand and I moved it to my left ring finger. And it was this moment of weird knowing. Yeah. Yeah. Your wow. face. <laughs> this Nobody is after sees him two, right now, wait, this but is he after is two days. in the wow. air. What's interesting to know, I never wanted to get married. I never wanted to like do any of the traditional trappings of relationships. So for me, it was very strange even to myself to have done that as this emblematic symbol of, I trust this is going to progress. This is probably that person that it's going to progress with. And we ended up doing our first five dates in five different cities. And then we're like, well, guess we're a thing now. And did distance for a year. He was living in New York. And then he moved to Atlanta because he was smart. <laughs> that's, that's actually, it's a good version. I agree with that version. I think the only difference is, go ahead. Which one? Which? Where you think that... Uh, you were like in that, like I was so into you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> How come every guy does that? Cause that's like, that's his story too. Uh, you no, know, one of the things I will add though, is that I think one of the beauties of, um, kind of this, like a lifestyle that's, a, you know, in today's environment that putting aside the COVID situation, just generally that like people are more mobile and that, you know, if, if we're blessed to meet incredible people, that's a beauty I think the text that I sent Dara that night was an effort to, in my own, in my own mind, in my own space, say, look, I've met someone who's really special and I could leave this incredible weekend and the, like the sort of, you know, the, the hype of it and for, you know, and sort of lose that thread in two weeks time and three weeks time. And living in New York where I was at the time, one of the challenges of dating in places like New York is that there's this perceived abundance, right? There's this sort of like, there's always something better around the corner. There's always this next thing. Like, oh my God, you meet this other 
really extraordinary, magical being. And you're like, wow, you're this thing. And, and so that text was really a way to kind of try to like be more intentional about it and say, wait, let me like not just move on to the next thing right away. Let, let me not just sort of like get caught up in this flow that we call it, whatever that might be to actually say like, no, let me try to be really intentional and say, hey, let's spend some more time with someone sooner than later and, and see about it. So it worked. Now, I do have a follow-up question. Early in the story, I wrote this down. You, you mentioned something about cuddle huddles. Cuddle huddles. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, cuddle. What, what, I, sorry. Explain this because this what is that? They're the best. It's, uh, it's called a cuddle huddle. Oh, cuddle puddle. Sorry. I thought you said huddle. All right. The idea is, is that, you know, we all, when, it, when, when uh, you know, when invited, we all like kind of human touch, you know what I mean? Like when it's consensual and all that. A cuddle puddle though is not, you know, meant to be some hypersexual thing. It's actually just meant to be like, let's say a group of 10 friends, guys, girls, you know, and everything in between cross the spectrum are, you know, come together and you just sort of, you're lying down, you're kind of like curled up, you're like, arms are across others, you know, someone's maybe holding hands that isn't dating. Like it just is this sort of physical energy that you're cuddling, but you're doing it with folks that are your friends and that are, but you hold like a special spot for. And so the idea is it's not, you know, meant to be a a sexually thing per se. It's just really meant to be like a a physical bonding. It reminds like heaven right now. Wasn't it reminds me when you were a kid and you're looking at the stars and you're all laying with your head on each other's stomach yeah. and you can see exact pattern. That's what I think of it as. Yeah. Especially in this like Corona time, that really sounds lovely. I know. <laughs> and the desire for physical just connectivity in some way today. Have you guys been back to Burning Man as a couple? Not, not yet. Yeah. Oh, not yet. Okay. It's on the list. It sounds well, like it's on the list. Since we've been together, I am definitely not a rugged girl. So it overwhelms me. <laughs> I think it's close. So tell me how you decided um, to like let go of this whole, like, I don't want to, you know, the, I don't want to be married. I don't want to be in a relationship, that whole thing. Like what brought you to that space where you were able to let all that go or, or have you just decided that your relationship's going to be different and you're defining it different and then that works? Yeah, I think it was an evolution. So if you ask, I'm 36, if you had asked me in my early and mid twenties, if I was ever going to be married or ever have a family, the answer was absolute no. When I hit the second half of my twenties, I started to open up to the idea that I wanted partnership. And that didn't need to be in a legal structure. It didn't have to be in a framework that I was familiar with. And I probably still wasn't going to have kids, but I was open to the exploration, which as you can imagine, when you're dating, these are typically things people want to know. So it was challenging. And then there was a three-year period between my most serious relationship prior to Brendan and meeting Brendan. And I decided to do something that I think was really important for me in those three years, which is what I call dating like a man. And I, as I traveled so much, I to date like a man in the sense that I didn't have attachments. I didn't have expectations to who these people were and that I would date multiple people at once, which I think a lot of women can relate to this. I didn't really have that wiring naturally to have a lot of pot simmering. And so every city I would go to, I would go to a friend's party or get on a dating app or go to an event and meet someone in most cases. And we would have these really fun, either short-term things, or when I would come back, we'd pick them back up. But it was very clear for both people that this wasn't going somewhere. There's an entire hip hop song about area codes yeah. that also speaks to this. Yeah, yeah I, I called it. What did I call it? I said I had like a guy in every port. <laughs> yeah. uh, 
it was fun because it let me take away all that expectancy of, oh, what is going to happen next? And is this going to happen? Or what are we building towards? And instead, let me focus on what do I actually want out of a relationship? And it helped me also build a positive bank in my mind of all the great qualities that men had that I had a really easy time not seeing because I had had so many crappy relationships that I was like, oh, they're all verbally abusive or they're all this or they're all that because I'd experienced those things. And so instead, this became sort of my scavenger hunt of good qualities. And so when I got to Brendan, I think I was really amped because I was like, oh, I've just had so much fun for three years doing this exploration. And then when Brendan and I met, it wasn't simple. I mean, from the beginning, Brendan had to stretch himself a lot to give me grace and time to ease in. Like Brendan definitely, I think we had a quick role reversal where he went in hard and then I, and then he sort of retracted a little and I pushed in. And then I was sort of like, hey, what happened? Like you just rubber banded in the other direction because can I speak for you? Yeah. He had this pattern he shared with me about being someone who went all in really fast historically and he wanted to not do that in this relationship. Whereas I was kind of the opposite. I held back and guarded myself. And this time I felt safe to do that. And so I was like, wait, where'd you go? And I think quickly we met back up, but then he had to, or he chose to be really gracious to say, I know that these are non-negotiables for me. Marriage is important to me and being a father is essential to me. And I don't, I know you don't know where you stand on that. So we're going to go through this relationship, hoping that we get to the same place without you feeling pressured or obligated to find yourself saying yes to that, which as you can imagine, led to a lot of self-turmoil where I would go through a lot of pressure of, I don't want to string him along. What do I really want? How am I ever going to make this decision? And I think there was one moment that was really the pinnacle moment. That, well, before we get yeah, there, please. Yeah, I was going to say, I think one of the things too is that like, you know, having kids, having a family, being married are extremely like weighty, heady conversations. They're existential for, for many. And I think part of what helped was that we didn't always treat that conversation with the gravity that it had. So we kind of played with it a little bit, which was useful. So like one day Daryl's on the couch, she was like, hey, could we come up with some, like, without committing to having kids, could we come up with some kid names? And I was like, yeah, let's do that. That sounds awesome. So we kind of like, took some of the like, you know, the, the real heaviness of that conversation, put that aside and said, look, let's play with what it would be like. And, and by the way, even though, you know, I knew I wanted to be a father. So it was a very young age, you know, and I'm still not meaning like, but that's always been a, a, an outcome I'd love. You know, it didn't mean that like, it wasn't stressful for me, or it didn't mean that like, I had my own doubts or insecurities around it. And so I think kind of finding room for like a lighter play with the, you know, with these big issues can be really, I think, you know, really useful actually. And moments for him where he was allowed to see the tantrum kids and not be like, Oh, can we have them now? When instead he was like, yeah, that's doesn't look awesome. <laughs> he didn't have to always be pro kid was also helpful. Yeah. For <laughs> I think one other piece too, is that like, as you maybe, you know, viewers can't see, but like, you know, Dara was obviously describing a lot of her like, you know, sexual encounters prior to me. And I think one thing that, you know, we... Is that, is that what you said earlier? <laughs> <laughs> Dating, however you want to call it. But this is the point is that, you know, I, I think some people in relationships try to try to sort of say, hey, like everything before me is either a threat to me or it didn't really, it's not in service of us today. Or, And I, I, I feel you know, we both do strongly that like, 
we're all an accumulation of what we are. And, and, and for her to kind of not feel the freedom to talk about things that happened before me that actually have to do with other folks to me, like feels not just unnecessary, but actually I think can, can hurt us as a couple, because, you know, as we just saw, like you wouldn't have been ready for me had you not, for instance, you know, had some of these other experiences before that. So I think, you know, it's top of mind for watching this. Well, I would say I'm, I'd say I'm by osmosis. There's this show called uh, Married at First Sight that is basically like, <laughs> oh, it's like I, I practically, I practically have hives. I like cringe at some of what happens. You're talking about that or 90 Day Fiance? Both, we're watching both. both. But, <laughs> but, but like it, people get really fired up when they start talking about past, you know, relationships, and and it's like. Gosh, like I think, like we're all, uh, you know, an accumulation of everything in our past, and why not have the freedom to, you know, express that and to also say, you know, where are these beautiful beings that have collided for this period of time, and I'm glad you had those experiences as well, and we'll have more experiences in the future that may or may not involve me. Obviously, I hope they do, but <laughs> well, now we're engaged, so Cliff's notes there. <laughs> wow! Congratulations! And you're so I guess you're inter- you're. I guess, interested in the idea of having children at this point. Is that part of that? Yeah. So I had alluded to that tipping point moment that I think was so critical for us that we knew that, you know, for, I had always said to Brendan, I'm, I want to be with you. It just doesn't have to be an engagement. It doesn't have to be a marriage. And he wanted those things, but obviously wasn't able to ask me that question unless he knew I was going to want to have a family as well. Mm-hmm. And so it was December of year before last. What year is that? 2018. And we were taking a trip to Paris. It was the first time I had been to Paris. I had been waiting for years to go because I wanted it to be like a beautiful romantic trip with someone. And so we're sitting at, on the tarmac in Atlanta about to take off. And I look across the aisle and I see this little family. And normally I don't notice kids. I'm sort of like, I only notice them if they're annoying. <laughs> I'm very callous. And I see this little family and this dad holding this newborn baby. And I look at Brendan and I said, oh, look at that cute baby. And he looks at me with these giant puppy dog eyes. And he says, ooh, can we please have one? And he doesn't remember saying it like that's that. That's not how I said it. But that's, that's okay. How- <laughs> <laughs> I think because the, the reason why I feel like I remember very vividly, and this is what's so interesting about like memory is that, A, it's just so flawed. And it's why, you know, entire convictions have been overturned based on <laughs> eyewitness testimony. But, uh, but you know, what, what I felt like in that moment was that like, again, the issue of kids is so heady that I turned to her and just said, like, we can have such a cuter kid than like, like that. Like, let's just do it. Like, kind of like, just like, let go of this. Like, like almost like enough already with your bullshit, Dara. Because he definitely didn't say that because my reaction immediately (laughs) was, I just said, okay, and tears started streaming down my face, which is also really unlike me. And if he had acted that way, I wouldn't have responded like that. So all of a sudden I'm crying. We haven't even taken off. I'm like embarrassed. And he starts like kissing me on the cheek and whispering in my ear saying things like, oh, we're, we're going to be in this together and I'll be here to do this with you. And in this sweet moment, my immediate response is, can I get a mulligan in case I change my mind? <laughs> but from then and on out, yeah, but from then on, and actually too, you know, if we're going to be super transparent, the second we took off, I've always been a writer as Jeff knows. And I immediately had this download and went into my phone and started writing what I called vows and like wrote this poem that I thought was going to be our vows one day. And um, it was like a few months later that he... You know, I think a month later we started looking at rings, and several months later we got engaged. 
And while I still, I guess, had that mulligan, we just sort of operated under that assumption at that point. Wow. Wow. That's beautiful. I'm getting all (laughs) teary-eyed. Not even my story. Really? (laughs) I'm getting all (laughs) teary-eyed. I thought it was more funny than teary-eyed. That's fine. Okay. Uh, Perfect. (laughs) So you guys talked about Paris. I mean, travel... Um, I follow you on social media. You, it seems like you're in a different country every other week, except for these weeks. Obviously, we're stuck at home. It feels like travel is a huge part of your both of your lives. Um, what has that done? How has that helped your relationship? I think part of what travel does is it uh, it takes you out of a habitual context and forces you in a way that you've chosen, which is meaning like a great way, but it's a forcing feature to like look at things with new eyes. And I think when you do that with a partner, it sort of extends that grace to your partner because you get to see them in a new environment. You're inspired by new twists and turns. I mean, the, the trip to Paris, the romantic trip to Paris happened to happen on the, the most concentrated weekend of the yellow vest protests that were (laughs) happening in Paris. Right. When like, all of the luxury stores had their, you know, Champs-Élysées was like, Champs-Élysées was like, you know, like looked like a war zone. And, and so, you know, even that in itself was like, there we are in this city bonding together in ways that we could have never imagined. And I think, you know, I feel blessed that we travel pretty similarly. Like we pack, Dara is an incredible packer. So we both pack with carry-ons you know, where like, I love to plan the shit. She loves to experience stuff. So we just jump in that way, you know, I, and, and, and I feel like we, you know, we're simpatico in that regard. And I have, you know, I've lived on every continent aside from Antarctica, but I've lived on every continent and worked on every continent. And so I, you know, I have a, I have definitely like a kind of a, a, a learned, just like uh, approach, I guess, like, like I feel comfortable encountering very new things, you know, as we're traveling abroad. And I think Dara, you know, has loves to adventure, but has done less of that. And I think you feel like that's a good, almost like foundation for you that like, I can kind of be a little bit of that buffer for you, but then you also can experience it. Would you say that? Yeah. Like for example, last year we took a trip, my parents moved and retired in Panama, the country, not the city in Florida. And they were like, we want to hang out. So we decided to all go to Cuba because at the time we actually went, all of our timings are so weird. 10 days before Trump put new restrictions on travel there for Americans. And it was a trip that I'd always wanted to do, but I'm a type A planner type person. And we both run our own businesses. So we're used to being in charge. And actually for me, letting him take total charge of our trips and me sometimes say like, here's one or two things I'd love to do. But beyond that, surprise me. I don't care. Just tell me what's a pack is actually such a nice counterbalance to our day-to-day. That's great. So you guys are big. I know, I mean, Dara, with your stuff, you're big on like mentors and um, mentorship and things. And how has that, and you have great mentors that I know of, and how has that been? How has that shaped you? How has that shaped your relationship? Um, What's been some advice that you've like just held on to forever? One of the reasons I was able to shift into a place of being more open to long-term commitment was by collecting relationships, like friends in relationships who had ones that I really admired because I was so accustomed to looking at relationships that ended badly or seemed like people were miserable. And I always had this assumption in my head, the association I saw with a lot of people's parents when you're growing up of 
half the time or more, it ends in divorce. And more often than not, it seemed like parents were staying in for the kids and they weren't really thriving. And that my association was marriage equals trap. So I started actively in my 20s thinking, well, who are the people whose relationships I admire? So I started asking questions to my aunt and uncle. I started asking questions to some of my close guy friends who were in beautiful relationships and getting to know their wives. And then as a lot of my girlfriends started getting married, started really getting invested in those. And then exactly a year before we met at the same breakout event, but in Baltimore, you guys must know them. Kat Cole met daily her husband. And that's also where I met both of them the same day. And so through that relationship, we became friends. And it was funny because Daly sent a text message after the end of the breakout that we met at in Portland. And he said, who fell in love this time? And I wrote him back secretly and wrote, Daly, I think it was me. And so we saddled up next to Kat and Daly a lot in the relationship because they really were in a similar situation where they met at the same place. We were similar ages they were in, he was in New York and so was Brendan. Kat and I were both in Atlanta and we had a lot of similar values and kind of things that we did. And so Kat and Daly sat us down, I think it was right around our six months together. And they said, Hey, listen, here's this practice we've been doing that we do this monthly relationship check-in. I think she took it from her YPO friends at what they did in their businesses. And she had changed it and mutated it to work in their relationship. And she said, we do this every month. And then annually, we do an annual version. And Brendan and I then started it on a trip. We were taking a trip up the PCH in California. And I said, let's start doing this. And I was jazzed. I was like, ooh, personal development work. Let's do it. And I think he was fine. But he's like, nah. <laughs> and so it's ended up becoming this important thing in our relationship that often we avoid because we're like, eh, do we really want to like think about the last 30 days and rehash everything? But I think it's become this critical thing where we ask each other questions like, What's something I did in the last 30 days that made you feel most loved? What's something I could do more of and less of to make you feel more loved? What's your goal, hope, or dream for us in the next 30 days? Like things like that. Actually, I wrote this up. So if anyone wants to find it, I can direct you there. It's on Forbes. Yeah, it's on Forbes. Just Google my name and you've fallen in love. Now what? (laughs) That's the title. And you can find it. But I think that's been really helpful because it, I think where people misunderstand, because I went on a radio show talking about this once and people, the hosts were like, oh, so you guys bottle up your emotions for 30 days and then dump them on each other. I was like, wow, you're telling me a lot about the way you interact in your relationship. (laughs) But it's not that. It's that how do we take a time where we're both present and prepared to dig in as opposed to, you know, Brendan knows this about me that when I'm focused on something, if he comes in, it's just like, Hey, can we book this time? I get so sidewinded and thrown off that I need to know like, okay, this is the time we're doing this thing. And so it's given us this landmark every month, give or take. <laughs> to do yeah, it's just also life happens. And so it's just really easy not to have, you know, even with the person you maybe love the most, like real meaningful kind of, you know, step back kind of conversation because you're just trying to maybe, you know, juggle work, family, love, impact, you know, like it can sometimes be hard to find the like intentional space for the relationship. And so this is sort of, I think a lot of like, you know, a lot of great things in the world are actually just, I think, forcing mechanisms. And I, and I know that sounds like kind of like a strong way to put it, but I think this is just a forcing mechanism for intimacy, right? It's like you get into it and you realize like, oh, wow, we're going to like come out of this more intimate actually. And, mm-hmm. and it doesn't, you know, I, I put it more, it, the, 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 the questions, the, like the, the monthly ritual 
is like a mixture of inspiration and perspiration. Like it's not like it can't be, you know, it, it can't be too much of one. I feel like like if it's all perspiration, you're like, oh my God, this is the most exhausting. <laughs> the worst. Yeah, it sucks, you know? And, and that's where we put our own spin on some of the questions, you know, like we, we didn't, we, we ditched some that we heard and we added some in that we liked. And because, but if it's all like, just like, why do you love me? And like, what did I do that was awesome this month? Then it's like, yeah, this is great. Like, you know, build up the love tank, but it also doesn't get also to like some like things that the idea is that there, there's a host of things that even I may not recognize consciously that I am feeling subconsciously that actually, if, if I could get that out and share that and also invite Dara to help, you know, either, you know, either it's my thing or maybe it's something about, you know, that she's been doing that I didn't really realize, but was actually like kind of feeding something a little bit deep for me that wasn't in service of our relationship. It helps us kind of get at that. And, uh, well, but I want to interject for a quick second. Cause she can't kind of came to you and was like, you, we should do this. Was your first response was, uh, yeah. or was it like, you know, it was like, well, cause, cause I think some people listening, there's more often there's one person that wants to go and have this there's conversation. Like the pursuer. There's the yeah. pursuer. Yes. And then the and other person is like, person ah, is usually a retreater. I feel like everything's fine. Let's just stay. Let's just kind of keep it out of it. Yeah. It sounded exhausting to be honest. When I first heard it, I was like, this just sounds like exhausting. And, but then I was like, look, like I, you know, I, I, I began it like, I, like I began to think about all the things I put hard work into in my life. And and it's like, it's very easy to like make the case why you work hard at work. Or like, if I was like playing a sports team, like why I would practice. Or like, if I want to be really good at, you know, the piano, like, like, I think people when it gets a relationship, they begin to think like, oh, hard work means like, either don't want to do that. Or it means like that relationship doesn't work for me. And I think part of what I saw in this, like framework was I was like, you know what? Okay. Let me also just like one honor this I mean Dara wants to do, but two, you know, recognize that, you know, to be good at relationship, you know, I have to put in some hard work at times. And 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 so that I began to like come around with that. I will say literally the first one that we did on that PCH highway, like the very first, like it was like, what can I do more of and less of? And like literally the first thing that she said was like the most like bruising to a man's ego it's a my ego let's just call it like i was like son of a gun like why did you have to choose like the most like kind of ruthless one like let's just ease into this like it's okay to like maybe that's like month three you know like but she went for the jugular and i was just like i was like god you know okay but but it actually was this moment where i had to like you know grip the wheel i gripped the wheel a little bit tighter and i was like i literally had this like out of body moment where i said to myself okay Brendan, how you choose to respond to this question right now, even though I still will say, I think she should exercise a little more discretion on the first. <laughs> it, it was like, I was like, how you react to this will, will actually dictate how this whole mechanism works over the next, you know, however long years, decades, whatever. Like, and so I had to really like, kind of like step out of the equation for a minute and be like, give this one, like, don't react just out of fear or out of like ego or out of, you know, just take this one in stride right now, because the whole point of this is to create brave space to step into and not like, you know, shut it down, which is like what can often be the case. Yeah. Yeah. And how often, how, 
on on average monthly, how often is one of the topics about sex? Not that often, actually. Probably twenty five percent of the time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that could that formula could vary by month. It could vary by couple. You know, each couple has probably you know certain things where there's more naughtiness. Like that sounded actually like a double entendre. Like okay. there's more not. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, conundrums and like sure. it's all kind of tied up. And uh, also, but, you know, I, I think that's the idea is like for us, you know, that has come up for sure. But, and, and in that case, it did like the example I'm giving, for instance, which is obviously why you asked the question. But, <laughs> but I think it's not generally the the one. And, and I'm always like, it's funny because I almost, I always struggle to come up with something that she can do like less, less of. of. And so she almost always gets away like scot-free, whereas she has like some really good one for me. And I'm like, oh, like, I don't want to do less of that. Like, and it's always like so thoughtful. And, so, and I'm like struggling to remember the past 30 days. So I, when, I'm, when I'm really on my game, you know, somewhere like mid-month, I'll think of something that's like frustrating me. I'm like, oh, let me jot that down. And it's not something that like is like festering in me. It's more just like, okay, that's actually a great like, I, I, I've taken a space for a minute to observe something that I think would be in service of this. Let me remember to bring that up again. Mm. You know, and I, and I do that, but, but more often than not, she kind of like skates through that one. <laughs> She's perfect. Right. I mean, what can I say? You heard it here. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here. For the type A personality, it's like yeah, it's everything she wanted. Right? <laughs> We're going to edit that out. Yeah. Exactly. That's it. Wow. Love it. All right. So you, um, you both have had the opportunity, especially, uh, well, both of you have had the opportunity to kind of interview some really interesting people over the years. And, um, I think a lot of our listeners are constantly wrestling with this identity question of what they're supposed to do with their life. You know, why, why do I exist? What am I here for? What is my purpose? Um, and I'm curious, um, from the two of you, what are a couple, you know, meaningful conversations that have stuck with you related to that question that you could help people that are processing that today? I, one thing I heard recently that really resonated was that, um, was that life is the dancer and we're the dance. And sometimes that, that metaphor is reversed, right? It's like life is this beautiful song and we're the dancer, right? And I think the idea of reversing that to me was that it's, you know, sometimes if you kind of, we try to control all these different destination points and way stations. And we're like, we're trying to just be the dancer, but if we can actually instead let like life be the the dancer and us just sort of sit back and like allow for more of these things to happen, like kind of just to, to be more present in how we're feeling and let that be the guide, as opposed to trying to say, Hey, you know, this is what I've always in, in ambition to do. This is my purpose. I'm following this. It becomes a lot more rigid, I think, in those moments. And so that sort of dance or dance metaphor became an interesting thing for me to play with. Um, and then let me yeah, keep it over to you and then I'll offer one after that. Yeah, I mean, I guess this builds pretty well. Like one of the people I've had the privilege of interviewing many, many times is Deepak Chopra, who obviously has a lot to say on this topic. And I'd say like one, just zooming out at a macro level, something that I have to deciphered just from my own life and from looking at a bird's eye view at things that he said or any of these other people I've interviewed or the people that I coach and consult with is that when we put that pressure on ourselves to say like, what's my whole life's mission and purpose that can feel so daunting. 
But instead, like Brendan's saying, to get more present in the moment and recognize, you know, what are my gifts and skills and what's an immediate need around me where those things intersect? It's very like Ikigai-ish where there's so many things I look back to. Almost all of my businesses, for example, spun out of those moments of something being a trigger of a need. Like I watched the economic collapse in 2008 and I thought, how can I contribute? And I thought, well, I'm a writer and I was raised by two uberly like stereotypical Jewish parents who taught us financial literacy lessons. So I know a lot about that. So why don't I write a kid's book on it? And that became a thing. Or I had a friend approach me after we graduated from college saying, where do I go to make friends after college without getting hit on, sold to, or everyone being my parents' age? And I thought that place doesn't exist. And I love to connect people. So you got it. I'll make it. Turned into a whole business. And I think when you can just stay attuned in those moments, not forcing something, that's so critical. So going back to Deepak, there's kind of three things that come up for me that I always remember from our conversations. One is that idea of resistance that, you know, life, the more that we resist it, the more that we're creating that unnecessary friction and tension. Two, he has said to me over and over, the only certainty in life is uncertainty. So every day he wakes up asking for more of it, which is like ultimate goals. Like I can't imagine being in that place. Yeah, definitely testing that muscle for myself a lot in this current environment. And then lastly, I think this piece around decision-making because everything we're doing, we're choosing to make decisions around, are we doing it? Are we not doing it? Are we doing it later? When are we doing it? And I asked him that early on, like you get pulled in so many directions. There's so many things that people want you to do. How do you decide what you say yes and no to? And this can be for tiny things or for bigger things. And he said, I have a three-pronged approach. Is the person or people I'm doing it with fun to be with? Is the thing itself in service to the world? And does he enjoy doing it in the first place? And if it's a yes to all of those, then he doesn't. And if it's a no to any of them, then he doesn't. And just to recognize that you don't even have to vision the master plan in a case like that. Like I asked him once, you know, what was the goal you've set out for yourself? And like looking back at your life now, he's in his early seventies, although he doesn't believe in human time. So in his mind, he's whatever, there's no age. And he said he's, after he became a physician and realized he wanted to move more into the space and it wasn't even wanted to, he kind of got called into the space of teaching and meditation and everything else, mindfulness that he never had a goal again. He said, I've never had a goal. And so for on the one hand, then he can never go in the wrong direction, but also because he's so in that flow of life where he's letting it occur and he's asking him those himself those questions and he's tuning into his body to determine, is it, ex, is it contracting or expansive? Like what's really the thing that my body is telling me, is this for me or is this not? And if we can tune in with ourselves enough, then it's not so much about those overarching macro questions anymore. It's about in each moment, tuning in, like I would call it higher self and intuition. Others would call it God. You know, there's a lot of ways to call it, but when you're tuned in with that, that I think is like Brendan said, the forcing function to help you move down the path in your direction. And at some point you might discover what you call the overarching passion or purpose. But I think when you start there, it can feel overwhelming and really push you in a direction that you are the one engineering rather than letting life engineer it for you. So for you, I mean, obviously Deepak, uh, promotes heavily and there's thousands and thousands of people that that tap into his meditation practices. Is that something that's helped you in processing that in your journey also? Yeah. I remember after I started my first company 11 years ago with my twin brother, I was like adrenal fatigue, burned out, stressed all the time, super emotionally reactive because I was so wiped out. And I went and studied transcendental meditation and just learning a practice that I could do on a regular basis like that, that had a routine and structure, which really worked for my type A-ness, 
changed so much for me because it allowed me to really see outside of myself much in the way like Brendan described, where even when we got engaged, I remember I was both physically present in that moment and like crying and there, as well as I was on top and above myself being like, whoa, like watch this happening, like be here in this moment. And it gave me that ability, I think, to be both minds where I could be in something, but also be outside of something to know, you know, and really reassure myself, like, does this really matter that much? Will this matter? Are you reacting appropriately? What do you really need to do in this moment rather than just going off like that animalistic fight or flight or freeze kind of place that I was for so long? Hmm. So you guys are both like, you're str- you guys are both pretty strong personalities. Is that fair? Yeah. I think you, that's- have, you have big ideas. You have, you've well-read, super researched, you've tried things, you have life experience, you've one has traveled the world more one, you know, but both of you have been all the world. Do you guys like butt heads sometimes? Yeah. I mean, short yeah. answer. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, I think one, like when there's past triggers, I've noticed for me in past relationships, mm. like, you know, that might be where, you know, we start butting heads. If like, you know, I, I, I sort of, there, there's tri- like, there's triggers for me around like being kind of instructed what to do, even though like she's, an, she's like a Dara is like an efficiency maniac. I'm much more of like a, you know, journey, you know, sort of person. And, and so sometimes her communication style can feel kind of like, you know, not just direct, but like, can, you know, it can be more confrontational, more efficient, however you want to sort of phrase it. Direct. And so, so when that sort of comes to me, sometimes that's interpreted in other ways and it may be unintentional for her, but also it could be a learning for her, which is that, you know, different people receive communications different ways. Like it asks the question of, you know, like, what do we need to be? It's almost like the love language idea, right? It's like, when we think of love languages, the idea is that you're not trying to shape your partner into yours. You're trying to learn theirs. So you can speak to them in that way. And I think that's a lot of like how, you know, marketing 101 is like, how do you communicate to an audience in the way that they receive you know, that message most effectively. And it's your job to figure that out, not their job necessarily to receive it. And so I think, you know, part of it, part of, part of this is about like, you know, communication, that's such the root of so many of the challenges, frankly, I think in life, but you know, maybe with us, um, I, mean, I, yeah. I think that yeah. one of the things in our relationship that was interesting in the beginning is, and you don't like when I say this, so we'll fight now is that, <laughs> We have sort of reverse gender roles in some ways that I'm a little bit more traditionally like the masculine vibes. In some ways, he's more like he likes to cook. He likes to garden. He wanted kids in the marriage. And I like, I didn't do or want any of that. And so in some ways that was a thing. And also, but then in a more traditional role way, like very men are from Mars, women are from Venus. He was very, the Venusian guy. He was like, oh, you have a problem. Let me just solve it for you right now. And I was like, no, I just want to bitch about it. Like, let me just get it off my chest. And so we we get in fights about that sometimes where I'm just like, I don't feel like you're hearing me. Like, I just want to say the thing, don't fix it. And he's gotten really great at understanding like, do you want me to help or do you want me to listen? And that's really been a big, big thing for us. Yeah, true. Yeah. It's interesting. The gender thing. I mean, I think, um, I think that sort of that rub, I think part of it is that like, you know, we're in a time and place in history where, you know, a lot of those gender norms are being confronted are dissolving are shifting, you know, pieces of that. And, but I also think like, I'm always reminded of this, of this Brene Brown, like, 
little anecdote in one of the, you know, one of the like kind of like openings of her book. She talks about this like cowboy in his like 60s is standing in the back of the room. She's giving her whole presentation. He's looking extremely grumpy and skeptical. And then like the talk ends, everyone gets, you know, the crush of people for book signing. And he waits and waits and waits. And she begins to think, oh my God, like, you know, I'm going to, we're going to get an earful from, you know, the same kind of like toxic masculinity that has been at all of my talks at every place I stop. There's that guy that wants to tell me this message. And so, you know, the, the gets to the height of the story where he comes up, he's the last person, at least is how I remember it. And he essentially says, you know, one thing you're missing is that it's the women is that I want to step off my horse. I want to be more vulnerable and there are certainly things systemically that are challenging that. But actually, in what he says is, you know, it's my wife and my daughter and these other women that are so close to me that also are preventing me. They, like, they, they, they want me to be the stoic, strong father. They want me to be the provider. That, and, and, and it opened up this whole new aperture for Brene Brown around, wow, like, it's also like there's other roles beyond just, you know, the sort of the systemic pressure or, or the man and what he's feeling. And I think... So when Dara says that, I think part of it too is like, how does, you know, like if she was to say like, I'm more the woman in some ways, or I'm more the female or, you know, role in this, it kind of almost like makes me want to pull back from being that because it sort of triggers this other thing of like, well, wait, I don't want to be the, the not, you know, I, I want to feel, you know, my, my ego feels a bruise. Like I want to step off, but I don't want to step off into something that feels like it's trying to like kind of box me into this, you know, other version or stereotype. And so it becomes a, you know, a way of like, how do we hold that space? And how do we like kind of get out of like, Oh, that's more, you're more like a woman in this case, or you're more like a man to say like, Hey, you're being, you know, strong and brave here. You're being, you know, more, you know, safe and secure here, being more open here, you know, whatever the, the, right. the, the adjectives are. Well, and at the end of the day, I think it's really just about contextualizing, which I don't usually like labels in context like that anyway, but what it really is saying is that we have these, like yin yang, masculine, feminine energy things that are actually really advantageous for us. Cause I think if we were both one or both the other, it, the balance would be a little bit off. Yeah. 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 It's all human. How's that? It's all about just being human. <laughs> right. <laughs> there we go. So you guys, I know with, you know, all your businesses and you're working with a lot of entrepreneurs, you're coaching, you're helping people with their own businesses what have you seen in terms of how work has impacted relationships? Like, where do you see a lot of the tensions? Where do you see a lot of the difficulties with a lot of your people you're working with? You're reminding me of an interview I did with a woman who's a psychologist that only works with entrepreneur married couples. <laughs> and it was- oh, we might need to go to her. <laughs> can you give her, <laughs> can we get her name? Trisha Harp, she's in Atlanta. You can look up the article, it's on entrepreneur and it's called, Is Your Marriage to an Entrepreneur Doomed? Um, oh, wow. The good, news is, is, good clickbait. Yeah, the good news is, is it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, headline there. But I think one of the things is that, like Brendan was saying, and I was having a conversation with someone earlier about this, that I think as individuals, we often get so much of our own value derived from our work for good, bad, or other. Like I... I'm such a champion for the fact that we are more than our work, but that culturally often we don't get that celebrated. And especially in a time like now where that's being stripped from so many people, we're having to get back to some of those basics. 
But when there's turmoil in that place for one or both people in a couple, that becomes really challenging. Or when we go back to these traditional gender roles and we talk about incomes and disparity there, and what does that look like if one is earning more than the other? Or, you know, we have a couple who are gay friends of ours where one stopped working altogether and they're dating and they had to decide, well, do I want to support the other one? And what's that look like? And how do we balance the value proposition in our relationship and our home when one isn't earning and we've chosen that together and the other one is? And so where can you bring value in those ways? And then kind of like the cat and daily thing, I think there's a lot of tools and references you can take from your work and apply them positively into your home. The other piece too, I think is the boundaries that we both work from home, even outside of the pandemic. And so we've had to figure out like, where do the lines blur and where do they stop? And how do we make sure we're setting aside the time for us and for relationship versus where is it okay for those things to be a little messy and blurry? Like if I'm sitting watching 90 Day Fiance and he's doing emails because he hates it. So like, you know, <laughs> things like that. Yeah, and also just, you know, you're not gonna get everything from one person, right? Whether that's your, mm. you know, your business partner or your life partner. And I think kind of like having that mindset that, um, you know, especially if we were to do a project together that, you know, that, that we have to look outside of our relationship for other things or other needs that we may have as an individual and that that's okay too. And, and it's just obviously like that, you know, what those needs are and, you know, what are the sort of principles of the relationship and what, you know, I'm talking more right now, like, you know, less on the sexual side, more on just like other things as a human that you want fulfilled, you know, to be able to, to be willing and, and aware enough to say, Hey, I don't need to get that from my partner here. Like that's where I can get this from this person or that person or this experience. I mean, I remember one time, this doesn't exactly do with work, but like early in our relationship, I'm very extroverted and Dara's more ambiverted. And the, you know, I was going out a lot because I like to, like not partying, but like events and gatherings and, you know, building community and networking and stuff like that. And I would often feel like pressure to ask Dara to come perceived pressure inside of myself to say like, I don't want her to feel left out. I'm going out all the time. And then when I would ask unbeknownst to me, Dara would want to stay in, but would feel pressure <laughs> perceived pressure with me. Yeah. <laughs> Until we had this like, you know, a sort of little battle for a minute where we're like, ah, and then we're like, wait, you don't actually want to go out? And she's like, wait, you don't actually really want me to come? I was like, oh my God, like, oh. <laughs> we just got to talk about this. Problem. Like, those are the best kind because you can <laughs> eliminate them right away without any therapy. And so it just was one of those moments where we're like, oh, okay, great. Like, I can go out and not feel stressed. I have to invite you all the time and you can stay home and not feel stressed that I'm trying to get you to come out. I love those fights that all of a sudden work out and you're like, we didn't have to bring this to our therapist. That's so great. Totally. <laughs> Unlike the other ones were like, this will continue next week at two o'clock because I can't talk to you anymore. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just kidding. Uh, okay. So listen, you two are awesome. Like the Ozark therapist. Have you guys oh, watched God. Ozark yet? We haven't okay. actually. You're the second person now, and wow. I'm feeling the need. Well, season three, I'm not going to do spoil alerts for you or your fans, but there's a therapist in it that is definitely like uh, breaking some of her oaths. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, it, it's it, depending on where you're, what side point of view you're coming from, can be a very useful therapist.
we could Talk literally ask day. any question to you guys. We just like wind you up and you go. It's like amazing. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, but we do have a final question I want to ask you. We ask everyone on the podcast this question and we'd like for each of you to answer individually. Is it possible to change the world, stay in love and raise a healthy family? Yes, but in imperfectly. That would be my answer. You know, I think you can do it all, but I, I think we have to have self forgiveness. We have to like, you know, like what was, what was someone said to me? Uh, oh, to like the other day in the midst of all this COVID stuff, right? It's like, we're used to being, you know, there's a sort of excellence culture, like a striving for excellence culture. And they were just saying that like, you know, coping is the new excellence for them right now. And I was like, you know, that's great. Like how, like, let's, let's say like, yes to, you can have it all. But, it, but I do think like, to think that you're going to have it all and perfectly, or that you're going to like be able to juggle every single plate, you know, in this beautiful, epic way. I think that does more harm than good to have that kind of a, a sort of perception of what it should look like. I think put the right intention in and, and, and be willing to balance and readjust as, as things continue to change as they will. What would you say? I'm going to exercise some improvisational comedy tools here. Yes. And, <laughs> which is my favorite. Um, so yes. And I think I go to that Oprah quote of you can have it all. You just can't have it all at the same time. And that doesn't mean you can't have family and impact and love all simultaneously, but for them to all fire on all cylinders simultaneously, like Brendan is saying, something's probably going to give somewhere. So thanks Oprah. (laughs) And now it's time for the breakdown. They're so great. That was fun. I was laughing so hard. It's it's so fun to interview someone where you don't have to work to pull things out of them. You like we would just, just we would went. say something and they just they've thought about this. They've had ten conversations about it. They've spent all the way around it and multiple times. It was awesome. It was great. I really want to cuddle puddle right now. Let's talk about that monthly relationship check in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we are going to share this with everyone, a link to her questions that she uses for this. Um, but I just think that's really great. I mean, we talk a lot about the importance of weekly dates, but having a monthly check-in where we can ask some open-ended questions to kind of address some things. I think maybe we need to do that tonight. Oh, well, we have to prepare. Do you have questions already set up or something in your brain? I mean, definitely more showers. Yeah, the questions. I'm just joking. That was a little callback. You, a little callback. A you callback. are in big trouble no. after this podcast. <laughs> no, I I think it's just healthy. Like I think what they the example they're showing us is something we can learn from. I love it. Yes. I also just um I really liked when they were talking about the before your partner conversation or idea that so many times we get mad or frustrated or we hold things against our partner about whatever happened before our partner. And I like how they were saying that we're an accumulation of everything in our past and it all has shaped and defined us and um, molded us in the person that we are. And, you know, to be ready for the relationship that we're in now or to be the person that we are now. And I think it was a good spin to spin it in a positive way. Yeah. There's a lot of fears that go with that though. I mean, I think that's a little bit what he's alluding to. Like some of the past experiences could 
you know, the fear of one of the partner might be that you're being compared to past scenarios. And, but I like his take on it, that that is part of the story. That's part of the journey to where they are at today. Mm-hmm. Um, so much of what they shared about was the importance of the present being in the present moment and evaluating in that moment, not the past, not the future, but today related to your purpose, related to your communication, related to, I mean, they kept bringing it up in multiple scenarios. Um, and I think that that happens a lot for them, probably through their meditation practices and, and um, experiencing um, centering themselves so that they can be in that moment. Mm-hmm. I like one thing that he said, you're not going to get everything from one person. Yeah, I think I think Esther Perel says a quote about that in a very similar way is that um, we have expected to get everything from our partner that we used to get from an entire village. And I think it kind of goes in that same light that oftentimes when we get into relationship or start our partnership, we really do think that that person is going to be our everything. And um, and we just can't, it's not going to sustain if that's the expectation that we put on somebody else, you will be in constant frustration and constant disappointment, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another thing he was talking about is... Um, that tension of these conversations, the monthly conversations of perspiration and inspiration. <laughs> if it was and, Jeff's, if it was Jeff's meeting, it would be all inspiration. No, so here's the thing, though. I was thinking about this when he was talking. I was thinking a lot about it because I rely heavily on inspiration with others. Like I lean in, That's I try insane. to inspire. Well, hang on, I'm not meeting. even done here. I rely heavily on that, but the light, my ability to inspire you is very, very small. Oh yeah. No, not with me, but you do that for other people. Yeah. I wish, I wish I could do that with you. Like you wish you could inspire me. Yeah. I feel like it would be, I've tried it on you. No, you're, this is where you know, we've talked about this, like you can't do your business coaching life thing, whatever you do for all your other people (laughs) that you work with. You can't do that to me. It doesn't work, but you really want it to work. No, I really need it. I need it to work. (laughs) I really do. Cause I just feel like it would take you to new places. Oh my God. I'm like joking. Showering? No, like I'm, showering. Jo- I'm totally is joking. Is this what we're going that. back to again? No, but what's interesting is that something that I'm good at. It, it, this is a this is a challenge. <laughs> I'm good. There are moments I'm good at inspiring other people. Yes, you're very good at that. But I can't. It doesn't work on you, no, and that is doesn't. so difficult. <laughs> Drives you crazy. Go- yeah, and I I've never put words to it, but I realized it when he said it today, and I'm like. That is the crux. Like, I don't know. But I am really good at the perspiration. (laughs) You make me work. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay, everybody. We hope you learned something. Are we still talking? Yeah, because I'm not trying to act like this is actually a breakthrough moment for me. (laughs) Because I've realized two things. It doesn't work on you. But then the other side, I'm thinking to myself. 
how I need to work on it. Like, cause oh, if I can learn, just keep trying harder. Well, maybe different way. Maybe this is a growth <laughs> opportunity for me to think if I can inspire Andre, then think about what I could do. You could change the world. I could change the world. That's the future. <laughs> so I'm going to work on that. In the midst of all this stuff, I'm going to work on inspiring you. I'm going to try to inspire you. Mm, I do need some inspiration. I don't know if it's from you, but you know. Well, that is another episode. We hope you were inspired. We hope that you will link and look at these questions that we link to um, in her article and have some conversations with your partner. And uh, thanks for listening. Yeah, have one more thought. Oh, I knew you weren't done. I was looking at your face. You, you prescribe, I inspire. The combination of those things is pretty powerful. Here we go. I'll take your prescription. You take my inspiration. And that's another episode of Love, Love or Work. work. Produced by Matt Owen for Soul Graffiti Productions.